Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever felt jealous when you were in a relationship? If you think the answer is yes, could it be that the emotion you labeled as jealousy was actually something else? Well, in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I talked to Allie Hendry, a certified holistic relationship coach for queer women who shares her best tools for how to unpack jealousy and reform it in a helpful, healthy way. You can learn more about Allie Hendry on her website, alliehendry.co.uk. But first, stay tuned for all the wisdom she shares with us here. Allie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. For inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So yeah, so before we get started, can you tell about yourself and the work you're doing within the queer woman community? Yeah, sure. My name's Ali Hendry. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm a lesbian. I'm 53. I know. And I came out when I was 28. At the time, I was married to a man had an affair um, and started a relationship with a woman, then had a few long-term relationships with women and then got civil partnerships. Um, and that also ended. So married twice, one of each, <laughs> divorced twice. Um, and then in the last six or seven years have been uh, non-monogamous. That's been my relationship style. What I do is I'm a certified holistic relationship coach. I work with queer women and I help them create the life that they want. I'm also an educator so I run workshops uh, for lesbians, queer women, trans women, non-binary humans around all sorts of topics to do with relationships. So it could be to do with building trust, dealing with discord, heartbreak, jealousy, etc. And I also write the Dear Ali problem page. I put the Ali in the Dear Ali. Um, so this is a problem page for Diva magazine which is the world's largest LGBTQ women's magazine and non-binary. So um, I'm really proud to be part of that. And as a result of that, I also do a weekly Instagram live on the Diva Magazine Instagram account 
where I have phenomenal guests come and join me. And you were so kind to invite me, but it's really no joke about the phenomenal guests. One of the things I've been so impressed by is your unbelievable curation of queer humans serving the, the women community. Uh, and it's just, it's just it's such an extraordinary roster. And anyone, I recommend you go to find Allie's page on the Diva magazine and go, go scroll through uh, some of those old. They're all there, the recordings. They're really long talks. She dives in deep. It's, it's incredible stuff. Thank you so much. I'll link to that for sure in the show notes. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. I really wanted to create a space where we can talk about queer issues and keep bearing in mind intersectionality because the crossover when we have individuals from different backgrounds, cultures, races, differing abilities, different age groups, um, different religions, I wanted to be able to show people the, the experiences of all of us under this lovely LGBTQIA umbrella and how actually even though we are a minority group, what we find sometimes is that there still becomes that divisiveness and those divides within those groups. And so I really wanted to create a space where we can have our eyes opened, really. And uh, secretly, that's your expertise. Uh, that's also another part of your life outside of the work you're doing for queer women. You also are a diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer on the corporate level, right? That's what your background that you came from is, right? So Yes, Absolutely. Before I trained as a coach, that's that's what I was doing a lot of. And now I've blended the two. So I, I work with inclusion. I, I work with uh, wellness industries who uh, want to be more inclusive in their practices. And it's cool to see you practicing what you preach, even just in your little passion projects on the side. So it's nice to meet people who are through and through the real deal. Uh, you too. <laughs> oh, that, that, thank you. I'm on your mailing list. I love your mailing lists. Oh, that's so cool. People, get on the mailing lists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I put a lot of love into, into my blog and stuff. And so speaking of other things that you've done, you had an incredible TED Talk on jealousy. Yeah. Um, I did a TED Talk at the beginning of the year. It's called Survivor's Guide to Jealousy. And jealousy has always been something that's been part of my relationship story and you would think that going into non-monogamy, somebody who has a propensity for jealousy might want to give it a wide berth. But no, not me. And so I learned a huge amount through embarking on that relationship design. And it, it was amazing. And I wanted to share my story in terms of how I had unpacked my jealousy and reformed it in a way that was really helpful and healthy to me. And I hadn't seen done in that way before. And it's had a great response. So I'm really, I'm really proud of having had that platform to share my story. Um, that's how we learn, right? We learn through story. That's why we have wonderful podcasts like yours. How do we move through the world? We, we experience others' worlds and work out what works for us. What do we want to take? What's not for the likes of us? And it helps us ease through life. So I love learning through story. And what I loved about your story as you were teaching about jealousy, it's, I have to admit, I'm, I have a little bit of a blind spot in the world of jealousy. And it's not even that I haven't been cheated on, because I'm pretty sure at least one of my partners did cheat on me, but I never, for whatever reason, really became paranoid or jealous afterwards. It's just, and so what was so interesting about your, your talk, I remember you even talked about how 
um, the paranoia can, you know, lead you to want to maybe search through their, their journals or their, their drawers or their phone or whatever, you know, these, it's such an interesting, I really, I, I viscerally felt the experience. You're, you're the kind of, it was the kind of story where I really got into, oh, okay. And understood, I was just living the world through your perspective in that moment in a way, in, in a new area, because it's not, I've never, I really never, I don't have any memory of ever searching through a partner's drawer or a journal or phone out of jealousy. And, and like I said, it's not because I wasn't ever betrayed. So um, I really appreciated how you did that. Um, so can we get, can we like dive into jealousy a little bit? The the nitty gritty of it, like let's tear it apart and, and talk through it. So what is your definition of jealousy and, and, and what do you know about it? Jealousy is, to me, I define it as a fear of losing something to someone else. And so it involves three people and, and the emphasis is always on fear. And quite often we will confuse jealousy with envy and envy is about wanting something someone else has. So there only needs to be two people in that dynamic with envy. And so that emphasis is very much on, on a wanting of something or a lacking of something. So when we focus on jealousy and envy, quite often, because there are those fears and those lacks in those two different definitions, we tend to equate it with insecurity. That's the one that we we hear. Um, and I think that's actually quite reductionist. And certainly this is where my talk started from, because, oh, why are you such a jealous person? Why am I so jealous? Oh, it must be to do with insecurity. It must be because of my relationship with self. But it's not. It's it's fear of loss. It's not. Which maybe yeah. is that a particular type of insecurity? It, insecurity can be part of the story, absolutely, and and that can be part of that that fear piece where I I am afraid of losing you to someone else or to something else. Um, you know, my ex-wife and I we have a child together. We co-parent very very well, and. When my when our daughter was born, I we lost a little bit of each other, as invariably happens in relationships. And so there was an element for me. There was another uh, form of jealousy. I'm losing my wife to parenting. She's losing me to parenting in a different way as well. So but that I can see why that's not insecurity. I can see why there's jealousy of that but not insecurity. It's not that you felt that you weren't good enough or, you know, or some sort of a lesser parent or a lesser partner. It's just, this is a life change. And now this beautiful daughter of yours has taken something that you really deeply treasured, which is the attention and care of your wife. Exactly. That's interesting. And it has nothing to do with insecurity. I see that. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. The other thing I think that is worth mentioning is that if we think about jealousy, so jealousy is is an emotion right and we know that emotions start in our bodies and then our brains go oh hello what's that then <laughs> and then our brains decide and they make sense of it they look at what's around us they look at all the cues uh, they look at the previous experiences and memories and history and then they make a decision and our and our mind goes that's jealousy or that's insecurity or whatever that is but actually jealousy in itself could be fear, rage, anger, resentment, humiliation, invisibility, longing, annoyance, uncertainty, frustration, worry, you know, the list goes on. It could be that actually what you're feeling is, is a want for something else or a lack for something else. It is not to do with the word jealousy per se. It's to do with another part of your life that's happening right now. So I think constantly we 
we need to be checking in with our bodies yes and I know this is something you do in your work as well and we also need to be looking at what cues are informing this and where are the facts in all of this <laughs> right there is that old saying don't believe everything you feel I, I think if I if I'm understanding you correctly you might feel something in your body or feel some sort of urge and the initial reaction is to assume that's jealousy but actually maybe that's just a misunderstanding or maybe if we pause for a second and dig deeper into those feelings we'll learn there's some there's way more to it and the jealousy thought is just an oversimplification maybe because it's a word we use a lot in the culture why do you think we would oversimplify in that way yeah all the time it's 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 an easy oh I, i'm just a jealous person and um and it's a throwaway comment oh you're just jealous and actually sometimes we do mean envy we do mean it's it i want that i want that thing we are actually referring to envy rather than i'm afraid of losing that thing which is what the jealousy is it's it's easy to make it a throwaway and it's also easy to turn it into a condition i am a jealous person and what i prefer to say is i i feel jealousy there are times when i feel jealousy i can feel it in my body i recognize that feeling i check in and see what else is happening around me to see if that's true i check in with the facts and then I look at what's happening with my thought processes, because thoughts can do a number on us as well. We turn thoughts into facts. And my brain is brilliant at doing that. And like you said earlier, in terms of looking for, you know, I call it scanning for risk, looking for opportunities that confirm your greatest fears. Remember, we've got jealousy, fear of losing something. Totally. Um, and when you talked about scanning, looking at the things around you, you might be feeling jealous, but if you actually look at the situation, you know, maybe there isn't anything your partner's doing wrong, but then you're talking about this elevated fear that might make you want to scan for evidence. So, okay. So can we dig a little deeper in that? Because on the one hand, you kind of want to look around and say, Hey, I'm feeling something. Why am I feeling it? But then that also then gives rise to the possibility that our minds might create yeah, a danger that doesn't exist, right? We don't want to believe everything we feel or not don't want to believe everything we think either. Absolutely. And so then we get into the area of confirmation bias, whereby we we make a decision about a situation and then humans don't want to be wrong usually. So what we'll tend to do is we will look for things that confirm that initial thought rather than looking for things that might confirm it or refute it. So if you're looking for, for supporting evidence, chances are you're more likely to see that and then skip over anything that doesn't quite fit in with this schema that you're creating around this reality that you believe is happening. And that also ties into the other phrase of cognitive distortions. And this is where we start to globalize or uh, catastrophize. They always, you never you know, those sorts of phrases that when I do my relationship coaching and when I'm working with couples, when we delve into some of those cognitive distortions and how they can be damaging because they set the tone and they don't allow much flexibility. So we don't have an opportunity to go for to, to understand that actually, yes, sometimes I do do that. Absolutely. That is true. But it's not always true. And sometimes I don't. Yeah, but it's not always true. It's like a neuro-linguistic programming when you look at the mental map and the people's the way that people's language shape their reality is super important. Yeah. Um, but it's just so important when you're talking about this scanning, this if we get paranoid, if we have this tendency for jealousy, but then we also have these this confirmation bias and these cognitive distortions that our brains do. And so now even if there's nothing there, we could start to create it, right? 
Absolutely. And I want to track back to something you, you just said as well, which I think is we, we all tend to do as well. When you said, yes, sometimes I do that, but sometimes I don't. And what I try and do is a reframe around the word but and change it to and, because then you've got two distinct unassociated statements. Sometimes I do this and sometimes I do that. When we put but in the middle instead of and, it negates what we've just said. It doesn't give it value and autonomy in itself. Sometimes I do this, but sometimes I do that. Because there are two separate parts of us and both of those parts are equally valid. We don't want to diminish the one part by using a but around it as if the existence of the other part totally. diminishes it. Yeah, that's, that's genius as well. All right, really great points. Thank you for those clarifications. I love it. I love my work. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, you're good at it. Um, but I really want to dig down because how does a person know? How does a person know if the jealousy is coming from something real or if it's coming from their confirmation bias? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to to look at that. I mean, for me, I wanted to find out where it came from. I wanted to understand what was going on and why it kept showing up. And then I wanted to be able to work with it in relationships and working with it in relationships means you have to create a really safe container, right? Because I have to know what I'm about. My, my partner or partners need to be doing them and exploring what they're about. And there's also this third entity that is the relationship. So working out what is mine, what is my partner or partners and what is the relationships and, and how do I have uh, what can I control and what can't I control? Big, big question. So when it comes to is this jealousy or not, what worked really well for me was to look back at what worse, and I did a lot of journaling around this, what, and also therapy and my own coach and lots of reading around it as well, loads of books. We, I can give you some of the, um, we can put in the show notes some of those resources. Okay. Um, and so I did a lot of forensic research around me and my history and what was happening in other people's experiences of jealousy and I found a few things that made so much sense that explore that explained where my jealousy came from and one of those was this growing up with this invisibility idea I'm invisible a part of it came from being the middle child <laughs> so not having a, um, a set kind of identity in the way that the youngest and the eldest had in terms of my experience and this is fascinating I'm I talk to my brother and my sister ev every week where you know we get on really well I talk to my mum and dad every week where we all get on really well and my sister said the other day she said you know our experience is we've got six parents here because the three of us have got different dynamics with both our parents depending on birth order what was going on in their lives what's been going on in our lives how we live our lives etc etc and it's so, so true. And so I can only speak from my experience. And that's what's so fascinating when you when you have the opportunity to speak to friends who knew you back then as well. It doesn't have to be siblings. And they go, well, that wasn't my experience. I found a journal the other day from a holiday that a friend and I went on. She was 18 at the time. I was 19. And we were reading this journal. And it was just absolutely hilarious about what was so important to us back then. And and it was real. And it was important. Anyway, I digress. So this invisibility thing was it, it just it made so much sense in terms of I'm not important. I'm I'm not seen. You know, that's why for a while I went into theatre and um, uh, writing scripts and 
acting, going into comedy, etc. It's like, look at me, look at me. I was the one who did the poems and would be wheeled out in front of the aunts to do the poems. So I had this thing about no one's seeing me, no one's hearing me, no one's listening to me. And that fed into my jealousy story, definitely. The other area that really fed into my jealousy story was at 16, my parents divorced. Now, nobody had divorced at that point in the village. So this was the 80s. It wasn't very common. People were staying together. So it was completely unknown. I didn't know it was going to happen. There seemed to be no more warning from 16-year-old me. And so that was such a shock. And again, I could see how somehow my version of relationships was tied up in there's going to be a bomb dropping at some point. And so my first few long-term romantic relationships there was this scanning for risk. There was this, this is going to end and I'm not going to know anything about it until it actually happens. And how that showed itself was also through actions that we would call, you know, jealousy, that whole scanning for risk stuff. So it's, it is fascinating to delve in. And I, I know I mentioned journaling there as well. And I think it is, if people are up for doing journaling, you don't have to do diarising, journaling, same thing. It's just a posh word for keeping a diary. <laughs> so write, writing things down, or you can do mental journaling or voice note journaling. Be curious about your story and why this is showing up. That's a great way of looking at, is this important? Is this something that's about something else? Is this a pattern that I can work with or reframe or use a coach to help me move into a different place in my life away from what I keep doing over and over because journaling is the opportunity for you to really grow your relationship with self it's intentional time with yourself and if you are using the sort of traditional way which is writing things down I'm a holistic relationship coach. So it's holistic. You've got you're using your body by holding the pen and holding your body in time and space. You're using your mind because you're writing things down and you're using your soul and your spirituality because you're you're using this inner voice. Some people call it a higher power. Some people call it a wise person, this this guide that is talking as you're talking to yourself on the page and it's a win it's like you're creating something in some ways you're creating your own art your own self-expression which has its own beauty and you're doing it with your own handwriting so it's this imprint that you're leaving and it's a feeling of accomplishment every time you do it because you're really doing a beautiful act for yourself yeah i think that's such a good idea journaling your story and your beliefs as well and what going back to what you were saying before looking for maybe where there might be some cognitive distortions where you say, I always, or I never, or where you're making generalizations that when you look at back at your story, you say, oh, wait, you know what, that's my story, but that's not true. That part, maybe that's an exaggeration. And then when, when you find an exaggeration like that, the question is, does it serve me? Is this helping me? Is this making my relationships better? And if it's not, and what's cool is I think there's no better listener on the planet than a pen and paper for yourself. And it's a way of seeing ourselves that there's simply, unless you want to video to film yourself and then talk, like you said, uh, yeah, speak and, into and a recorder journaling. and speak back. Yeah, getting the feedback, take it for a walk. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a runner. Um, and so I will, I will program things to think about and take for a run. Um, I do talk to myself as well out loud. If I'm going for a walk, I live near the coast. And so I will go for coastal walks and I will have conversations out loud. So it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not for everybody. And that's and that's what I'm really keen on 
getting out of this set way of journaling because you probably do journaling every day when you have those little conversations with yourself when you are having those thoughts you're probably doing it so what it's what we're saying is make it a little more intentional make it if you want to make it focused on a particular topic yeah and maybe with a little bit more focus also on the on the listening to yourself right because we could talk in a mindless way but but maybe if we're doing it for journaling purposes, there's a part of ourselves that has to listen a little closer. Um, so I don't want to lose track of where we were. There were certain pieces you were talking about. There was an invisibility piece, the feeling that we need to be seen, that we're not important. And then there's this idea that a bomb can drop at any minute. And that's why you're scanning for risks, because no matter how much we love someone, there's this sense that it can end and we won't know until it does. Those are huge. You said, are, is those the only two pieces or there's another piece to that as well? Yeah, the, the, those are the main pieces. I also did a lot of research um, around attachment theory. So I got very interested in this idea of attachment theory and how it showed up. So attachment theory essentially is us looking at or having that knowledge that for particularly Eurocentric families, this doesn't work so much for indigenous populations in terms of the family unit certainly from my experience growing up in the UK, having a mother and a father and that is the, the unit, I uh, an attachment theory started in the UK, actually, John Bowlby. And it's about looking at your first relationship is that you experience is with your parents. So you learn these messages, you learn how to be in a relationship because you are in a kind of relationship with your parents. As you start to move into friendships, and then you start to move into romantic relationships and colleagues at work. Sometimes you see similarities. Sometimes you'll see patterns in how you relate and how they relate. Or it may be that you are inadvertently, unconsciously choosing people who are similar to how one or both of your parents parented. So I became very fascinated in how that manifested itself in my relationships. And that was another area where because my experience was that I didn't have at all times a secure attachment, that also fed into my jealousy of thinking I'm not important. And that, again, was quite an interesting area to explore and see. Actually, we can rewrite that because the great thing about attachment is your style and you get, you know, you can look at your style. Your style isn't fixed. So you can change that style as you go into different romantic relationships, as you get different experiences. The trick, though, is to spot when you're in that dynamic and being able to work together to move out of that dynamic. So you ultimately get to that secure base, that secure attachment that says, I see you, I hear you, I value you, and I am also me. I am autonomous. I am close to you and I am distinct from you. And that's what we all want in relationships, right? We, we, a lot of us will strive for, for that intimacy and that freedom in one. And that is possible, people. That is absolutely possible. And sometimes you need resources to help you to achieve that. Uh, and you need to be ready, willing and able for all parties. It is possible to get to that place. And of course, like any change, as you know, with your work, like any change, it starts with awareness. Yeah. So how can we bring some awareness to it? You talked about this dynamic. You talk about how the partner can sort of catch it and work through it. What are some things they're going to be looking out for? Um, what are the steps to, to achieving that? I, I love asking people to go back to the beginning of what they want in out of a relationship. What are your relationship values? What are your beliefs? What, 
what does a beautiful, well-working relationship look like and feel like? And when you write that down or when you mental journal on it, when you talk to people, when you see diagrams about it, listen to podcasts, people like Esther Perel does wonderful podcasts, you you start to compare, right? I mean, we already live in a world that is way too comparison heavy. When you start to compare and you start to see those areas that aren't your dream, what's going on with that? How can you have those conversations with your partners around making those changes? Do they see the same thing as you? Where are those shared beliefs? Where are those shared values? So I always think, go back to the beginning and see what did, what did you want to have where are your compromises and are those compromises okay? Yeah. And is that that's work you do both alone and with your partner? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And certainly with, with myself. So I, I will see people on their own. I'll see one-to-one clients. I'll see couples. I'll see pods if they're in a non-monogamous pod. Groups as well. If If individuals want to come along and do some group coaching, we can do that as well. So that that's a great resource for what I always say about coaching is it helps you. You're great at seeing your brain from the inside out. What I do with my coaching is I help you see your brain from the outside in. So you can go, oh, yeah, I do do that, don't I? That's interesting. Let me get some more curiosity on that. Let me get the old microscope out and see see what's going on with that. And so because, as you know, with coaches, we're not looking at the past with a view to healing. So we're not going into therapy. We're not looking at that inner child work. And I know I've mentioned stuff that I've been doing and I've been doing that through therapy. What your coach will do will be focused on where are you at right now? What what is your life like now? Where would you like to get to and what steps can you take to get to that place? Doesn't mean we can't talk about the past. But what I'll do as a coach is I'll bring you into the present. Oh, that's interesting. How does that feel now as you talk about it? Where would you like to put that feeling and that thought? How can we create a new story that serves you better and helps you be the best version of you? So it doesn't discount the past at all. but It doesn't do the healing piece that therapy and counselling does so well. It brings you into the we're here. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? Let me partner with you. Yeah. Do you have any stories of ways that you've worked with couples with difficult attachment styles that lends to more jealousy between them and how you were able to help them change their story, help them work with that? Yeah. A a lot of, a lot of the work comes down to boundaries is one, one area. So being able to work with your own boundaries, looking at what your boundaries are, how to set your boundaries. And what does that mean? Can we dig deeper into what that might look like in practice when we're talking about jealousy? Yeah, absolutely. So we there's there's boundaries and there's there's rules and there's agreements. So all of these kinds of words that get flown thrown around, we get some more clarity around those terminologies so that we can work out, like I said earlier, what's what's ours, what is the relationships, what if our, what is our partners, what are we trying to control that actually is not ours to control, um, what aren't we controlling that we should be controlling. So boundaries are set by you. They are yours. You are in, if you imagine you're in a field and you've literally, you have got your fence around you. So you are saying, what is your yes? What is your no? And potentially what's your maybe as well? 
what what is okay for you what is not okay for you and as well as telling your partner what those things are you're also enforcing them with your behaviors so it's not enough to just say i don't want you to do this i don't want you to be on your phone when we're having dinner that might be your boundary and you might frame it in a better way than that you might say i really like that we connect at meal times i'd really like us to be able to put the phones down i don't and then the boundary bit would be i feel discounted when we're having dinner i'd really like you to put your phone down so that would be you setting a boundary now if you were setting a rule you would be enforcing and penalizing your partner so you would be saying if you use your phone one more time at meal times i am going to sit in another room and we're never going to have a meal together ever again you can you can have dinner with your phone and enjoy you know that that would be a rule <laughs> it's it's not as much fun an agreement is where you and they meet and come up with a plan that works for both of you so it would be something around so so with the boundaries you're you're stating your needs with the agreement you're coming up with both of your needs being fulfilled and being negotiated you know these things aren't fixed agreements can change at any time so saying something like can we have a conversation about phone usage i really want to connect with you we don't see each other all day it's the first time when we're meeting at the end of our day together uh, i would feel really nourished if we could have that time together how's that feel for you what comes up for you so you're reaching out you're saying how is it for you and then they're saying well yeah actually there's always a few emails that i do need to do first Okay, no problem. So how's that going to look? Oh, well, okay, so when I come home, how about I have 15 minutes just on my own sorting out these emails and being really focused, and then I'll leave the phone in the other room and then come into the kitchen and we'll have our dinner together. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Should we try it? Yeah, let's try it. And then you enforce it. And then when the person spends half an hour instead of 15 minutes, you go back to the agreement and you say, oh, you know, I'm not feeling great about this again. We need to have a conversation. So it's, it's all ongoing stuff. And, and it, those tend to be some of the key areas where we forget to work on them, particularly if you've been in a relationship for a long time and you've got things like resentment and, oh, they're always like that. So we're back to those cognitive distortions. We feel we don't have agency. They never listen to me. They won't because you ain't trying. <laughs> and let's try and do something different to get a different outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Doing the same thing and expecting it to be different is, is insane. Yeah, definition of madness. Definition of madness. Yeah, absolutely. One of the ways, the, the way you end your TED Talk is with the words, love more, fear less. And I love that. And I've heard you say it in other places as well. So where does, what's the origin story of that being one of your mottos? And what can you say about it? Like what's deeper in there? Something that I came across, the, the TED Talk, because of COVID, the TED Talk was delayed four times. So it was with me for a really long time and, and it, it got developed a, a couple of years ago. And then we have a wonderful mentor who works with us as well while we're while we're going through the process um, of getting ourselves TED, TED Talk ready. I mean, I was lucky because as a performer, you know, my background having been in performance and being a show off, <laughs> I that, that there was a lot of stuff that I was already happy with and absolutely had a joyful time. So the love more, fear less came from some journaling and me really focusing on what what is this jealousy piece for me? It is about fear, because I was doing a lot of research around defining it so I could understand it. 
yes, there is that fear of loss. Absolutely. Yes, it can show up in so many different ways. It can be show up in work, in family, in romantic relationships. And what do I want? I don't want to feel jealousy. I want to feel more love. And so I came up with the love, love more, fear less. Um, and it, it just really, really resonated. Since then, I found in the last couple of months, I found a, a poem called Letting Go by Anonymous. Anonymous writes a lot of poems, don't they? Yeah, they're, they're very, very prolific. Very prolific, that Anonymous. They do a lot of memes as well, yeah, don't they're, they? They're pretty good. So, so I found this, this Letting Go poem. And right at the end, they say, they say it the other way around. They say, fear less, love more. And I was like, I mean, I can't tell you hand on heart that I didn't read that years ago and forget that I'd read it. I might have done. But I was like, wow, this is amazing. So this already existed, albeit with the other way around. So, yeah, it felt like it came from me and, and my research. But I mean, I don't claim to I haven't copywritten it or anything. So take it if it resonates. Wow. Have it have it put on neon in the bedroom. Do it. Use it. Yeah, there's a lot that I love about it. One of the things that came up at first when I was thinking about it is the idea that I, I've had many, many heartbreaks in my life. And, and they're no fun, right? They're as painful as painful can get. But I keep on wanting to love. I, I, it never stops me from wanting to love. It's still worth it. And something that, that strikes me when, you, when I hear the words love more, fear less is the sense that, yeah, heartbreak can happen, but, you know, it's still worth it to try. And when, and I always say to the women I coach is that at the end of the day, heartbreak, yeah, it sucks, but it's nothing you can't get through. It's nothing you don't heal from. In fact, you get better. You know, it's, it's a, a kind of injury that actually makes you better. Whereas other sorts of injuries, you might injure your knee and never walk the same again. Uh, and I guess some people can get brokenhearted and then just be so down and out from it that they never, but that doesn't have to be that way. You actually can get brokenhearted and learn more about yourself, learn more about humanity, learn more about your strength and come back stronger and better than ever. And so that's one of the things that struck me. Also, it's funny, my high school yearbook quote was a quote from Rent that says, there's only now, there's only here, give in to love or live in fear. And that was actually my high school yearbook quote. Oh. So it's not love more, fear less, but it's a similar thing. It's because fear is very easy, right? We could all be in our paranoid state. We can be nervous. We can be anxious. We could be thinking the worst about other people. We could be noticing what we dislike about other people. We could be noticing what we dislike about the world. Or we could be in that moment noticing what we appreciate about, appreciate about the world and appreciate about the person in front of us and what we appreciate about this moment and being alive in this moment. And so, yeah, I think... It, it That's that fascinating. I have a heartbreak is absolutely devastating. It can be absolutely devastating. And people do come to me for heartbreak healing. I do a twice a year. I do a seven ways in 28 days program that helps you move through heartbreak. And this could be heartbreak in, in friendships as well or familial relationships as well. They can be as dev devastating, sometimes more so in different ways. So I deal with, with that heartbreak piece. All death and loss and all of it, right? It's all kind of, we get, we get hit in the same place for it. Absolutely. And the thing about fear, and I got this from Pema Chodron, I know we mentioned her the other day. The thing, with, the thing about fear is that you cannot, it's very difficult to feel fear in that absolute moment. And the example that she uses is lion about to eat you, Right you you your fear either sits in the future or the past 
What I mean by that is there you are standing, there's the lion, it's about to eat you. And you're thinking, right, I, I, I'm going to get eaten. And the fear is what that's going to feel like in the future, what it's going to feel like to be eaten. Or it sits in the past. I went to the zoo once and I was told that lions eat, eat children and I was really scared. So it's tied to a story from the past when actually you're here, the lion's over there, you're alive, you're OK right now you are okay and it may be that you're going to keep going okay so i love that piece that says feeling fear right now in the moment actually isn't always true it tends to be attached to a future thought or a past thought and i think that can be really helpful yeah we suffer when we re when we have terrible memories about things that we experienced and we suffer when we worry about the things that we don't want to happen coming to be in our lives but if we're just in our bodies, in the moment, living in the exact present moment, you might be running like hell to escape the lion. You might be climbing a fence or I don't know what we might do. I, I'd be a goner. I'm not that athletic. <laughs> Forget it. If a lion's after me, I'll be a, I won't have a memory of it. And that's the thing about jealousy. You know, when we talk about jealousy, making friends with your jealousy, this is something I talk about, because if we try and understand it and we take the heat out of it and stop being afraid of it, of our jealousy and what it might make us do, then we we are not pushing as much. And things like law of attraction, you know, they tell us if we if we're saying, I don't want that in my life. What our psyche hears is you want that in your life you're actually giving a lot of attention to something right now that you don't want. So you're you're emanating an energy towards this thing that you don't want. Yeah, what we give our attention to is what we choose. Yes, exactly. So if you understand it, if you sit next to it, if you, if you go for a run with it, if you um, listen to some music and chill with, you know, do, do a playlist, do a jealousy playlist and have that that takes you to a place of being able to try and just do some free thinking in a in a quiet space. You talked about letting writing a letter even to your jealousy. Can you talk about what what you know what that's about and how and how you do get to know your jealousy? Like what what's in there? Yeah, absolutely. And there's some great I can come up with some great writing prompts as well and and um you know you can google for for great writing prompts as well. So if you're going to let write a letter to your jealousy as if your jealousy were a living, breathing thing, which it is because it plays itself out in you, right? So explore it, ask it who it is, ask it why it is, ask it what it wants, find out how you can grow a relationship with it so you understand it rather than it being in charge. How do you become in charge of it? And as we said earlier, it gives us a great opportunity to see that concept outside and as we see it outside of our own brains, because we've been slowing down our thoughts, we've been unpacking it a little bit, we can put it back together again in a different way, in a way that we want it to be more healthy. Because jealousy is energy. It's, 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 it comes from the word zealous, you know, so it's got that energy attached to it. And actually, it can be useful. It, you can use it to move towards your partner, to go, actually, ah, oh, I really don't like this. And instead of shutting down, which you might do, that might be your default setting, that might be what you've seen people around you always do. Instead of doing that, you, you use it to propel yourself towards them. Yes, it takes vulnerability. Go read Brene Brown, listen to her that her work, absolutely, and, and find out more about you know, the, the work around being vulnerable and how that attaches you, that brings you and your partner closer. So think about using it as a, 
as an energy to move towards your partner. Um, it, it's also a kink. Jealousy is a kink. So there's other ways that you can re-roll it. There you go. Some people yeah. find it a big turn on to to um, feel have feelings of jealousy. It actually gives them that great sex opportunity. It certainly happens for me. Certainly is one of my kinks. I hate it and I love it. <laughs> that works out well in a polyamorous setup, right? Yeah. Uh, I know. Who knew? You've got Who plenty knew? to work with. Yeah. So you've been doing so much work as a relationship coach. Is it, is it always with with queer women that you're working or are you, cause I'd love to hear what you learned about lesbians and queer women from your work as a relationship coach. Yeah, it, it is mostly, it is mostly queer women, um, trans women, non-binary humans in the, in the um, LGBTQIA world and working with singles and individuals and groups as well and communities. So coming into my AH, I've got an AH coaching community, Facebook group, where I do uh, talk-in-ars, free talk-in-ars. Is it a webinar? Is it a talk? No, it's a talk-in-ar. So I do it once a week. I drop a 20-minute chat educational piece on, on a particular relationship topic. So doing doing that within community. I actually, yeah, I I learned, I learned a lot about patterns, my own patterns, of course, when I'm hearing other people's patterns. I, I felt like I knew the community really, really well already because before I went into coaching, as well as doing the diversity and inclusion training and so working with lots of different types of organisations on lots of protected characteristics, on lots of discrimination areas, I also ran theatre companies for years and years, again, working with queer women. So you are, have a certain intimacy when you're putting together a show and working on something intensely and spending hours and hours together. So things would get talked about. And I, and I felt that when I came to coaching, I kind of knew a lot about other people's relationships inside out already from that world. What, what the coaching did open up, though, was, as you mentioned earlier, being able to have the opportunity to work with Diva magazine as their relationship columnist and also doing the, the rooms. So where I've been meeting practitioners and um, experts and people who are very different from me with similar experiences and very different experiences. So that's where the learning really happened for me. So having that opportunity to meet with others outside of my immediate circle and be able to learn from them, that's that's been phenomenal and just have my eyes opened on how to see more because we all have filters, right? We all see the world through our own filters. And if somebody can go, I've had exactly the same experience. I've watched the same film as you. I thought it was about butterflies. What do you mean it was about butterflies? It was about war, <laughs> you know. So to be able to have somebody who uses that as, as an analogy and says, this is the same experience, but through a different filter. That's great. How else can we grow? How else can we learn? We're not surrounding ourselves with different people with, around the same people. We can't grow because we're all thinking the same. Absolutely. Uh, the more perspectives we can learn to see the world through, the better understanding we have of this crazy universe that we're in. But I love what you talked about. I, I love the idea of you leading these theater groups and these groups of women relating to each other, even if it's not in necessarily romantic ways. It's still within our romantic relationships, we're still women trying to be in relationship to other women. And I think that's 
it's a, it's a subject that fascinates me endlessly, just the way that women are with each other, the way we get along, the way that we sometimes don't get along, and the way that's different from how men get along with each other. And then it's, and, and the, how that's different from the way, uh, you know, between genders, we get along with each other. I find it so interesting. What do you think you learned about the way women get along with each other or fail to? It's, it's a great question, actually. I, one of the things that comes up is around expectations. Um, because we're both women, we should know. And I think that's a massive piece because we go into it and we keep going into it, regardless of whether you're just coming out and going, oh, it's going to be so much easier because I understand my body or because I understand my brain. So we decide that there is this huge expectation. And then we're like, what? <laughs> what? And, and then we're confused because everything that we thought it was going to be, it isn't. So check in with your expectations. Ask yourself, where's that expectation coming from? What happens if it's met? What happens if it's not met? What's going to be my best course of action to find out more and to realize that actually I don't want to fall into that trap again? And out of that expectations, also when it's women with women, is this expectation that we're mind readers. <laughs> I think you really hit on something very major with this she should know. I I really get that sense that sometimes when girls are pissed at their best friends, it's like, oh, she knows what she did. And it's really funny. Yeah. yeah. I don't use I your words. She might not. <laughs> right. She might not. Yeah. So sometimes we're we're a little bit more oblivious than we think. That's so true. We have this expectation of mind readers. I love that one. Do you have any others? That one was genius. Yeah, the, the other one that that definitely comes to mind is around differences in desire. And again, I think we get labeled with, oh, well, you know, we, we because we don't have a penis that we're not as sexually driven and there's more likely to be lesbian bed death and that one of us will probably want it more than the other. And, you know, it's going to cause problems. And, and absolutely, there, there are a lot of conversations around that and how it shows up in relationships. And then it becomes resentment or she's always asking for it and she's and she doesn't want it. And then it's this whole I feel guilty for asking. I feel guilty for saying no. And it, oh, it becomes so painful, so, so painful. And actually, we're focusing on the wrong thing because what we're going, what we're saying is, oh, there's a measure. So we need to be doing this this amount of times. We need to be doing it in this kind of way. This intimacy piece is a cup and we need to make sure that it's filled up all the time. When actually, I believe fundamentally what's underneath that and the conversation that I see missing in relationships is, what is it that revs you up? What is it that revs you up? Because what revved you up at the beginning of your relationship may not be the same as where it is now, may not be the same in a, in a few, few years' time and further on. So what do you need? And, I mean, I cannot recommend strongly enough the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagotsky. And what they identify is this difference between spontaneous and responsive desire. So spontaneous desire, some of us in some situations, we're just switched on, we're ready, we're hello, <laughs> clothes are off, we're doing it, it's happening. For others of us, we're in a situation where it's responsive desire, we need the warm up, we need the warning, we need to feel safe, we need to get going before we're ready to feel into that piece. And, you know, it, it comes down to, I have these conversations a lot around what, what when you think about sex and safety, what do you need? So for some people, and this is another game changer that feeds into what we're talking about here. For some people, they need to feel safe before they have sex. For other people, they will have sex to grow a feeling of safety. 
So it can be completely the other way around. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who is more into the spontaneous desire and someone else is more into the responsive desire, you might end up never having that conversation. If you can't get a hold on what's actually going on underneath the surface, you're both desperately unhappy. There is no one higher or more important when it comes to one person who is labelled as the one who doesn't want sex and the one person is labelled as the one who always wants sex. Even those labels in themselves, they're splitting you, they're splitting your relationship. And what we're trying to do is bring you into a sense of belonging together. I, I definitely think that what you're pointing to is a big deal in relationships and definitely causes a lot of pain between people. It's it's definitely a very frequent complaint that I get when people are reaching out to me for help. I don't necessarily think it's different from straight relationships. You, you hear all the time about women not, you know, that... I guess maybe stereotypically it's more about the man complaining about the woman not wanting it more, but any two people, there's just going to be no two people are the same. So the idea that you're going to have the exact same level of desire is unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. And, and absolutely. And in the, and the book does talk about sex and it does say that, um, you know, there have been a lot of research around that and it does tend to be that, people who've grown up as uh, as men are more likely to go with the spontaneous desire rather than responsive desire. So you're right, there can be those differences. Um, I think where it's relevant to us as lesbians is around this overall expectation that we're not sexual, we're not that sexual, we're going to end up just wearing cardigans and knitting and watching television and holding hands and, and actually that I think is a great sadness because we we're getting labeled with this you and also age you know you can't be sexual all the other messages that go on around I'm a sex I'm more sexual actually overshare <laughs> but I'm more sexual now in my 50s than I was in my 30s I'm more body confident I'm I'm in the middle of menopause it hasn't affected th that side of things for me I know it does and this is another thing to bear in mind when we're when we're talking about couples that may be a similar age and of course are going through menopause at the same time, you're going to have very different experiences. I hate to use the word lucky, but I do feel lucky in terms of my experience of menopause. I'm just kind of breezing through it quite easily, whereas that is not everybody's experience. And yes, for some people, it will affect how they relate to their partners and their levels of intimacy. But when you have these stereotypes already in the world that tell us what we're supposed to be like, we're fighting against those as well as fighting against the shame that we might feel about it, as well as trying to navigate a relationship that we don't even understand right now. It's that confirmation bias that you talked about, right? Yes. That idea that if, we, and, and the meme, right? If we're creating a meme as lesbians that we're going to all end up in sexless relationships and wearing a cardigan, <laughs> I love that. I love cardigans, by the way. Yeah, nothing wrong <laughs> yeah, with a cardigan. I'm not going to sit here complaining about cardigans, but I do really think that you're pointing to something very important, is that we can't create this meme for ourselves. We can't create this belief that then we're going to, because our beliefs shape our reality. It shapes, it, we have confirmation bias, then we live our lives according to that, and next thing we know, we end up, we, we become what we believe we're going to become. And right. uh, so it's very important that we not believe in the inevitability in any way, shape or form of lesbian bed death. Yeah, it doesn't have to be one way. No, I think that's all so great. This has been such an amazing conversation. And I know we're coming up on the time. But before I let you go, is there anything that like you kind of wish we discussed or anything you just wish every 
woman, uh, every queer LGBTQIA human understood about themselves or every human understood about themselves or the world? I think it's part of looking for opportunities. I mean, over the last year and a half, couple of years, we've had things like lesbian TikTok. I mean, who would have even known that was going to be a thing? So when you have a platform like that, that skyrockets the the visibility of lesbians, it's absolutely phenomenal. What TikTok did is it gave people an understanding of things like mask, femme and stem. It helped lesbians come out later in life. It was absolutely phenomenal for allowing us to see all types of lesbians and women who are part of the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. So being open to those new platforms and being curious about those platforms, I think, is is really important. I think in terms of messages, really what you what you said earlier on, actually, that belief that you are exactly where you need to be right now. And yes, it might be hard. You are exactly where you need to be right now. Can you plant some seeds, however tiny, that are for future you? Is there anything you can do right now that serves future you, whether that's your romantic relationships, your health and well-being, your friendships, your family, your work? Is there just one tiny manageable thing? It will get that dopamine hit. You know, all these amazing chemicals that we have available to us that we can stimulate. I talk a lot about that as well. Is there something you can do that you plant that seed today for future you? Yeah, take today to do a favor for the future self that will wake up and be really grateful for it. And then having done it, let yourself um, feel good about it. Let yourself enjoy the let yourself enjoy the dopamine hit for having invested in your future self. I love that idea. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all of this amazing wisdom. Um, so for women who want to continue uh, learning more from you and engaging in your work, what are all the different things you offer and the different places that women can find you to continue this great conversation? Yeah, I'm most active on social media on my Instagram account, which is Ali Hendry Coaching. And you can get my link tree from that as well and see all my current bits and bobs that I'm working on. I have got a Facebook group, which is a private Facebook group called AH Coaching Community, where there's a resources list. I'm a massive reader of, in fact, I've got my own hashtag, hashtag Ali's Book Club. So I post loads of books that I read around romantic relationships and personal development, etc. That's in the AH Coaching Community Facebook group. I do talk in ours as well. So I drop in 20 minute weekly chats Find me on Instagram Live. So follow Diva Magazine and click on the live at it's 19.30 GMT, 11.30 Pacific, 14.30 Eastern. Uh, and it's every single Monday. And there's always an absolutely phenomenal guest. And then there's the usual website, which is alihendry.co.uk. Well, this has been such a treat and you're a real treasure. And I'm so glad that we got to connect and I'm so grateful for you having me on your Instagram live. And I'm so grateful that you shared this time and contributed to my podcast here. And thanks for all the work you do. This is really, really fun. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved chatting with you today. Hopefully we'll do it again one day. Thank you, Allie, for, Let's do it. for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. While you're there, you can book a one-on-one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.